Hello and welcome to the Distance Podcast, part of the Institute for Liberal Values. This is where we discuss how we can strive for a world in which freedom and reason are at the forefront of all human society. In this week's podcast, Elizabeth and Mike will explore the social psychology of guilt, moral identity, and in particular, how the former can lead to moral outrage directed at third parties, irrespective of wrongdoing. Okay, so welcome. We have another article to discuss. Uh, this one is on moral outrage. So you've probably come across moral outrage before. Um, sometimes it can it. be genuine. <laughs> or felt it, you know. Um, maybe you've seen somebody do something absolutely outrageous. Um, for example, maybe somebody told a, a hideous lie about you. Somebody said that you were racist, or homophobic, um, when you're neither of those things. Um, and you feel quite rightly outraged. How dare they say something that horrible about me? Um, so it's, I don't think it's a feeling that, that, that that's alien to any of us. I think we've all been screwed over by people in the past and as a consequence have felt fairly outraged. And I think we felt this, um, you know, certainly about our country, about maybe our, our favorite sports teams who were, uh, maybe the victim of bad, uh, referees or something like that. So we felt yep. little version, little like sort of petty versions of this. We've also felt maybe more, um, uh, more global or, um, you know, patriotic kind of versions of this. Um, so the name of the article is A Cleansing Fire. Moral outrage alleviates guilt and buffers threats to one's moral identity by Rothschild and Kiefer. And we will link to the, uh, the article. Um, so I just want, this is like super brief summary. So what's to come? Five studies supported the proposed guilt-driven account of defensive moral outrage, whereby self-focused guilt over personal or collective harm doing motivates expressions of moral outrage at a third party. So in all of these mm. studies, they offered people a way to alleviate their guilt by uh, expressing outrage at a third uh, party. So what we're looking at is a situation where, let's say you feel guilty about something. Um, one of the examples used in the paper is doing something bad to the environment. So do you recycle? Do you recycle really religiously? Do you recycle enough? You know, and imagine somebody has come up to you and in a very persuasive way told you that you don't do enough for the environment. Well, in this case, well, I just wanted to be clear. So they had two that were environmental and three studies that were related to um, poor labor practices. And it was not uh, personal. It was the they manipulated uh, perceived culpability um, uh, uh, suggesting that their in group America in terms of the climate or the out group China is more responsible for um, climate now uh, climate change or uh, poor environmental practice now in the um, in the case of poor labor practices, they did somewhat manipulate personal responsibility. So, um, so that's why I was sort of correcting you because in the 
environment ones, they didn't do that. But in the labor ones, they did. They asked people questions that they knew they would say yes to, to make them feel a little bit guilty. Um, I sometimes buy products at big box stores. Um, when making a purchase, I pay more attention to the cost than how or where it was made. When making a purchase, I don't think about the workers. I mean, they knew that people were going to answer yes to those uh, questions. And so they made they uh, made them feel um, you know, uh, uh, guilty about that. They didn't do it so much in the environment, uh, in the environment ones. So, oh, you're, I can't hear you, Mike. Sorry about that. I yep. had myself on mute. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to get an abstract example out there. Um, yes. in order for it to make sense. So let's say the, the point is this, is you feel guilty about anything at all, really? Um, whether that's the slave labor that has gone into producing your iPhone, which is one of the examples. Yes. Um, whether that's um, feeling that you're not doing enough for the environment. And, and, and just imagine yourself in one of those cases. Imagine that, that you're there and somebody is in a very articulate and, and persuasive way letting you know the consequences of your actions. Which, which, which are pretty bad for all of us, right? Yeah, you know, that we... dr Americans, or for example, you know, what drive more, consume more energy, um, you know, at home, waste more, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, you're, you know, we're culpable, right? And, we and are. yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole point where, you know, okay, so how is China able to be at a stage where it is committing genocide against the Uyghurs and doing all kinds of horrible things to all kinds of different kinds of people, even ethnically Han Chinese people who are being locked up in black prisons for no good reason whatsoever. Um, how is it possible that they are doing that? How is it possible that people are being abused in order to buy the products that we all use on a daily basis? And I'm sorry to tell you this, and I'm not singling you, the listener, because I'm equally guilty of this. And so is Elizabeth. Um, that's only made possible because you know, in the 1980s, Reagan, in order to break China away from the Soviet Union, agreed to make China the world's factory. And so all of this economic boom, um, the positive side of which is that millions of people, not as many as the Chinese would say, or the Communist Party of China would say, but definitely millions of people have been lifted out of poverty. Um, that's the good side of it. And that is good. Um, the negative side is that it's empowered a tyrannical regime um, that for many years was still tyrannical and really bad, um, but was getting better and has now really started to suddenly get worse again under Xi Jinping. But even at its best stage was absolutely horrendous and tyrannical. Um, and the only reason that's possible is because of us. We've, we've empowered that and, and you are empowering it by buying their products. Now, it's not easy to stop buying their products. It's, no, it uh, sure um, is not. It really isn't. Um, and, 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 and to be fair, you know, this is one, plus for the Biden administration, actually. Um, uh, and I think Trump as well was actually moving down this direction as well, um, is that I think that the establishment within America and more broadly the West has realized that enough is enough and we are slowly detaching from that economy, though it's going to be a painful process. Mm -hmm. um, and we can see that. And, and, and that's why the, the, the Chinese economy is actually, and this isn't appearing in the newspapers because they have their tendrils into the newspapers, um, but the Chinese economy is crashing. The housing market is crashing. The banking sector is crashing. You know, the, the, 
they're living on borrowed time, unfortunately, because uh, unfortunately for the you know everyday Chinese person right. who is not responsible for this, fortunately for the, the tyrannical regime at the top, but it's going to be an absolute disaster over there. But anyway, you know, you are responsible for this, as am I, you know, and, and it's natural that we should feel some guilt over this. Right. And that was why they chose what they chose, right? Because it right. was an easy manipulation. It's certainly something that I think most people uh, could be um, primed to at least uh, consider their own guilt. Um, go ahead. So, so let's go, go to the good side of guilt, like what it, what it does. So you feel guilty about this and how does that manifest in the world out there? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it helps uh, manage behavior, right? Like this is what keeps, it keeps a lot of us, um, a lot of us in, in line, right? Um, so uh, interestingly, well, of course, we already did a podcast on shame, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so shame and guilt are not the same thing, although some research is you know, there is some, inter well, some interaction. Um, so um, we tend to feel guilt for wrongdoing. And so something that we've done, we feel badly about. So like in the case of, you know, purchasing clothing that's made in sweatshops, for example, um, where shame tends to be more that we feel like we're a bad person for having done that wrong thing or having thought that wrong thought or whatever. Can I, can I articulate the difference on this one? So let's say mm -hmm. you have um, cheated on your partner and got away with it, right? So you've had a one night stand with, you really love your partner. You think they're great. You think the world of them. And you've had a one night stand when you were, I don't know, at a conference somewhere or something like that. And you've got away with it. Nobody knows. What you would feel then is guilt, right? You would think, I shouldn't have uh, done no, that. You I could certainly it. feel shame about that. Also, if you believed you that that, oh yeah, absolutely. It, it's not about somebody finding out. It's about whether you, whether you believe that now you are a bad person, you're a bad partner maybe, or maybe you're an unreliable or, you know, it's like now you, you define yourself perhaps as a cheater. Okay. So you've, you've changed the way that you, you uh, feel about yourself that's shame where mm -hmm. guilt is just a matter of, you know, having uh, done something uh, wrong and, and that can essentially be sort of accidental, right? Either one can be accidental or so, so shame is the way that we, that uh, we internalize it. So it can be exactly the same behavior. So certainly someone could only feel guilt about having cheated. They could also feel shame. So it's that this is why I'm saying like some of the literature is finding that there's there's they're almost um, uh, they're sort of hopelessly confounded in some kinds of manipulations. So I don't want to belabor the point too much, but the the emotion literature defines that defines them sort of that way that that there's wrongdoing and then there's like feeling like you're a bad person for that wrongdoing and. Um, so, for example, a woman can feel great shame over having been raped, even though she didn't do oh. anything wrong, right? But she can feel shamed because she feels like she's uh, spoiled or ruined or or something like that. So you don't even what a man could feel equally oh, bad for yes. being raped. Yes. Yes. I mean that, that's kind of a weapon that's used in prison, right? Um, yes. In order to kind of destroy 
um, men's self-image is, is or right. Or unfortunately in the Catholic Church. Just yeah. saying. No, um, yeah, quite, 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 yeah. quite, quite, quite. Um, so, but in many ways, both of these emotions are pro-social, right? That um, they inspire us to be better people, to um, maybe, uh, you know, uh, not do that again. Um, and in this case, in this article, um, they're talking about how guilt can inspire us to fight on the behalf of uh, victims, um, maybe to not necessarily, uh, maybe that guilt doesn't necessarily always elicit strategies on how to undo our own actions or make ourselves, you know, a better person, but to focus on um, uh, strategies that will just make us feel better about ourselves in the moment, not as much about making ourselves a better person or about undoing the wrong that we did. So right. it's about this third party. Um, so let's, let, let, let's, let's again, try and like flesh this out a bit in, in terms of the, the normal reaction. So if you've done something bad and you feel a sense of guilt or shame for having done something bad, then you might as a, a way of rectifying um, your your negative self-image and the, the, the sense of, of shame, you might think, well, okay, I've done something bad. That's done. There's nothing I can do to undo the bad thing that I've done. But in order to restore my sense of pride, my sense of a, a positive moral self-image, I'm now going to look for opportunities to do something good, right? Because then I can say that that, that good thing that I'm going to do in the future or that good thing that I've just done that kind of balances out the bad thing that I've done in the past, right? So, so I did do that bad thing in the past, but I've done more good things that make up for it. Right. Um, and that will restore, hopefully, I, th I think that's an, a rational way of thinking about how to restore your self-image. And that's probably, um, that probably works and, and, and oh, good yeah. on you. You know, I mean, good on you if you're it doing makes that. people tithe at church, right? Uh, right? You know, you get told that you, you know, probably sinned and you can drop some money in the basket. And <laughs> That that uh, that helps uh, alleviate your your guilt a little bit, but certainly and, volunteer volunteer work and right you know, yeah yeah yeah. Well, let's. I mean, like one of the examples would be um, gang members um, who have been involved in all kinds of organized crime um, and you know gang violence. A lot of the time, they will feel a sense of guilt and a sense of shame for the life that they've led, and then they will then volunteer. Um, to go into mental other kids who were in a similar situation to the situation they were in and might be flirting with the idea of getting involved in criminal violence or, or already are in, in criminal violence and try and help them get out. Um, so that's a sense of shame and guilt and, and how it can be productive um, and how that helps restore the, the former criminal's sense of moral worth um, by actually doing good things. Right. You know, and, and, and by actually making a positive difference. And that's great. Yes. That's wonderful. And, but. Yes. Oh, but, carry on. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So no, I was just going to say, yeah, but, um, you know, there's also uh, some literature um, that they, you know, that they cite here that, um, you know, people will also simply, you know, um, punish a third party 
in order to make themselves feel better. And by the way, I looked up this, uh, the article that one article that's cited in here uh, somewhat heavily, um, Jordan, which is a, an article in nature, and we'll put that in the notes also. Um, those, those nature articles, they put all their methods and stuff. They don't put it in the article. So I can't tell you a lot about the, because they used game theory and they're like, oh, go to this site and you can learn about them. And it was gobbledygook to me because I don't know enough about game theory. So, um, but they did, they used sort of, you know, economics research. They do, they use game theory a lot. And so one of the things that um, they found was that um, third party punishment worked well in order to get other gamers to trust them. So one, there were two options. One was to help someone in the game and one was to punish a third party in the game. And um, those worked uh, not quite equally well. People did prefer to, did uh, trust gamers more that had demonstrated that they would help someone. But a very close second was the willingness to punish a third party for some transgression. So I guess in, in the article, one of the examples that they give basic is, you know, well, if you are willing to punish someone for uh, uh, racism or stealing or whatever, then you probably won't steal from me. You probably aren't a racist, right? Because you're punishing someone else. And so it's not, it was, you know, that is a compliment to this article, as we're going to see. So this, um, but that uh, Nature article found that there was not only a person, they didn't measure personal um, uh, benefits, as in the current article that we're going to talk about. They measured the communication aspect and how it built trust in uh, people who were playing the game with them, if they were willing to punish a third party. Um, so it worked so this is well in um you know in 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 social circles so, so so here is where that could be a good thing and here's where that could be a bad thing so in a sense um there are wrongdoers who are out there in society sometimes those wrongdoers can be quite scary um and if you are prepared to confront those people and punish them on the basis of them doing something bad then in a way you warrant being trusted because exactly. you've been brave Right. And so, so that's that's the, the 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 positive mechanism in place, and more often than not, that probably works in exactly that way, and that's why it's in place. That's why people trust people who punish people, because you're looking at somebody and they are punishing somebody who's bad, and they're standing up to somebody who's scary, a bully, for example, mm -hmm. a school a schoolyard bully, um, and yeah, maybe you deserve a bit of a reward if you're brave enough to go up against those people. Good for you. Um, and that's why people will trust you on the basis of doing that. However. Yes. Um, um, yeah. if, if, so, there are people so, who will game the system. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and, you know, uh, there was no evidence in the uh, nature article of, you know, necessarily personal motivation, personal gain. But certainly in the article that we're talking about, we see the personal psychological advantage, right, to, um, uh, you know, punishing a third party. And in 
uh, and this is more to do in the in this article. It has more to do what we might think of in cancel culture as calling out a company, right? Because this is these were questions about a desire to punish companies, oil companies, for example, in the climate change one. So um, you know. Punishing a corporation is more. I mean, certainly we can make the we can make the connection to uh, canceling an individual, but this this article really is more relevant um, specifically to maybe willingness to call out a company to cancel uh, a company or tell tweet out you shouldn't buy this brand or whatever for some reason. And to be clear, um, maybe you shouldn't buy the brand. Well, exactly. <laughs> Um, exactly. But 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 what is the but psychologically what's going on here is the reason that you're not buying the brand because the brand has done something wrong, or, or is there some <laughs> other reason why you're not buying it and they've or, done something wrong? Two things maybe, could be true at the same And are time. you even not buying it, or are you just posturing, right? Yes. Like my suspicion is that you know these people who were in this study who you know were given an opportunity to demonstrate their moral outrage on a piece of paper. Right. Uh, well, that's not true. They were in on a computer. They were they were uh, Amazon Turk. I think they were all Amazon Turk participants. So they were on a computer. So but their willingness. I mean, this was not even a fake tweet or anything like that. These were questions. Right. So, um, you know, a great follow up would actually be to have someone write a uh, a potential like, you know, comment or whatever and ask people would you like to post that so they wouldn't really post it you know because they're in a study but you know how to what extent would you uh, like to to post that or whatever and we'll let you um decide whether you should so these people were just answer at answering questions so the degree to which they felt anger at say international corporations for the harm done to sweatshops so this was the um the moral outrage measure. And they did a, um, I just, I'm just like several pages worth here of results on study one, simply to convince us, right? Multiple analyses. They might've overanalyzed this data a bit, but um, tortured, we sometimes call it torturing the data. Um, just simply though, to um, convince us that guilt uh, predicted um, uh, moral outrage, which predicted um, uh, sort of this um, uh, retributive, uh, this uh, support for retributive justice. So let, let, let's, let's explore the link between guilt and moral outrage then. So, you know, you feel guilty about something. And again, we kind of discussed this. You've done something wrong, whatever that is, you feel guilty about it. And you're looking for some way to restore your moral image. I did something bad. Oh, how can I restore my moral image? And then what you might tend to do is to look for an example of somebody else doing something bad. Right. Now, here's the funny thing. If you're not feeling guilty, you're less likely to be looking for other people doing bad things, right? Because you're not looking for that opportunity to restore your own moral worth. If you right. are feeling guilty, you're going to be looking for other people to do bad things. And then you're more likely to be outraged. You're more likely to be outraged by something bad somebody else is doing or 
they might not even be doing something bad. That's the scary thing. No, you're just yeah. primed and ready, right? To... You're primed and ready to see moral outrage. You're primed and ready to see people doing bad things. And you're ready to work yourself up into a moral frenzy um, and then try and punish that person for doing something mm -hmm. bad because you feel guilty about something completely separate. And the interesting thing is, you know, from study two on, they were manipulating whether uh, the potential, um, the, the reason that the, the persons or people who might feel guilty is are either in your in group or in your out group. And when they started to manipulate that, they found some interesting um, uh, interactions in the data. So um, no main effect, what they call a main effect for in group or out group. So um, there was no difference in guilt, for example, um, between significant difference, no significant effect for whether people got to um, express their moral outrage before um, they pondered their guilt or after they pondered their guilt, no real effect. However, a significant interaction in that when it was the in-group that was responsible. So for example, in terms of the climate, these were American participants and that America was, you know, the article indicated that America was the biggest contributor. Then um, uh, people, um, when people were, were able to express their moral outrage at a third party um, prior um, when they expressed their moral outreach prior to um, guilt, they had higher, uh, um, no, wait a minute. Prior to expressing moral outrage, they experienced more guilt. So when they weren't offered the, the, uh, outlet, the, the outlet, when they were able, when they weren't able to sort of expunge their uh, uh, guilt, they uh, felt worse. But when, they were able to um, express their moral outreach first, then they felt less guilty. So as, to your point of just sort of like looking around for some place to put it, right? Um, you know, this is, just a, this is just a study where they offered the questions about moral outrage before or after the questions about guilt. And that was enough. They simply just offered, offered people in the study an opportunity to say, I am outraged. And that was enough to alleviate guilt. I find this fascinating. Um, you know, I find it terrifying. It, 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 well, and terrifying, yeah. But just just that little, um, just that, that ability to answer some questions that say, yes, this outrages me, you know, just was like a weight off of off of their shoulders. But if they were asked about guilt first, and then outrage, then they still felt the guilt. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is terrifying and fascinating. I mean, certainly it's, it would be, um, and I think you actually, you sent a few notes and I think you actually mentioned this, that, um, you know, this could be used for good, right? <laughs> like let people, you know, give people an opportunity to be outraged about something that is maybe, um, more abstract and, and, you know, it's not a person, it's not, you know, and again, sometimes we're not saying that people should never feel outraged and that they should never no. push against something. No. Um, but, uh, but looking no, for sort we're of encouraging random, you to, right? Yes. But <laughs> think about road rage. 
right? Like, I mean, you know, like, are people just sort of like something's like they get in a tizzy about something, they feel guilty about something, I don't know. And they're just looking for someone to not turn on their turn signal or like, could this happen? I mean, it is terrifying. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really terrifying because like, I, and, and like as usual, right? This article isn't about critical social justice. No. But it doesn't matter because the, the, the principles aren't broadly applicable. Um, yes. And, and, and so what I've noticed, and if you're here, probably what you've noticed is that critical social justice alleges and sometimes has a fair point in insofar that it, it is trying to kind of manipulate a sense of guilt right so um if you're white according to critical social justice you even though you did not participate overtly in this kind of behavior yourself you know you are privileged at the expense of black people um i don't actually agree that that's true but but that's certainly the case so therefore you you know your privilege comes at a cost now the more nuanced versions of critical social justice would not say that you're guilty of a transgression or that you're morally a bad person because of that, but that you owe some kind of debt, that you should feel guilty. You owe some kind of debt and you need to, to, to restore the balance. And so, so what it's doing is it's manipulating this, this sense of guilt among privileged white people. And I, I think it's no surprise. That's why you know, the vast majority of people who go along with critical social justice are both privileged and white. Right. You know, relative to black people, relative to all other ethnic minorities, there are far more privileged white people, not so many working class white people, because working class white people probably don't feel privileged because they aren't. Um, and therefore, it's much more difficult to stoke up those feelings of guilt. But amongst privileged white people who would look at themselves and say, okay, I've got all kinds of things that other people don't have. I can recognize that. And I can recognize that maybe that, you know, in, in a cosmic sense, that's not fair. And it isn't fair in a cosmic sense. There's not much you can do about it other than give everything away. But, you know, you first. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you know, you are, you know, you, you, I, I don't think you should feel, feel guilty for that. But you are put in a in a privileged place. And it's easily understandable why you would feel guilty, because you can see that you have things that other people don't have. And you can see that you probably haven't earned them either. Now, it'd be one thing if you were somebody who, and there are people like this, who came from a working white or otherwise working class background and really worked their way up from, from poverty to, or, or near poverty, um, or just being poor to, to being somebody who is incredibly successful. You know, at, at, at that stage of success and having all the riches that you'd earned, you probably wouldn't feel guilty. But if you were born into them, as most undergraduates if not all undergraduates are, um, and you see that you have these things that other people don't have, and you recognize that you haven't earned them, it's easy to understand why you would feel guilty for that. And then and you look then, at black people who don't have it. Right. And so and, you've and got a sense of guilt. What's the, what's the easy way to atone, right? To assuage your guilt. And, the, you know, this article suggests, you know, one easy way is third party punishment, right? Right, uh, because the hard way would be to say, I haven't deserved any of this, and so I'm going to give it away. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't, look, I don't see, um, you know, the white people in my, white women in my department all quitting for the cause that they claim to believe in so strongly, which is to increase the diversity in the department. 
sort of like you said, you know, like, well, you, you first, right? Mm. So this is the cause that, that they believe in and that they're fighting, they claim to be fighting hard for. But as you say, they're not quit, they're not quitting their jobs in order to make room for those uh, minority uh, candidates. So, um, you know, that's, that's the hard thing to do. And I'm not suggesting they do it. I'm not saying no, that. No, quite, um, quite, quite, but, quite, quite. But, you I don't know, think they should feel would, guilty either. But I don't think they should feel guilty either, right? No, no, and like, like, like you're in a position where you've, and, and here's what, what I think would be appropriate. You recognise that you haven't earned, maybe you've earned some of it, but you haven't earned all of the things. So, so you know, let's say you've, you know, you've worked hard, you've done well at university, you've got a decent tenured position in a, in a half-decent university, and that's great. You've achieved that, you have worked for it, but you recognise that you've had opportunities that have come as a consequence of the things that your parents or your grandparents or your ancestors or any combination of people, they've managed to give you these opportunities that other people don't have. And that there's something not quite right about that. And that's great, there isn't. But the way in which to deal with that, I wouldn't say would be to feel guilty. The way in which to deal with that would be to say, well, okay, I recognize the, the kind of advantages that I have. How can I extend those advantages to other people? That would be the appropriate way of dealing with it. Not just this kind of sense of guilt of, oh, I'm an oppressor and, you know, all of that. Because none of you, let's be frank, none of you are going to quit your jobs and give it to right. another person. And even if you did, it might not be a good thing. Exactly. Right? Because, because, because these advantages that, you, that you've been given have made you a competent person. And it means that you can do your job well. So giving your job to somebody else, it might not be as good as you are at doing it. That might not be a good thing. Right, right try and extend these advantages to other people that's the way it should work and 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 by the way that's something that liberal democracies have not been perfect but compared to other forms of government have been fabulously successful in relative to other forms of government um so no i mean i don't think that that, that, that guilt in this kind of sense that that you should give up, give up your job is is a good thing no but there's a really toxic thing that people are doing which is going for the easy way out so right. that's not giving up their jobs um, that's not actually thinking, okay, what is the extra work that I can do in order to extend the advantages that have made me the kind of person I am today, which is a good and competent person? How can I work hard to extend them to other people? You know, that would be the work of doubling down on liberalism and liberal values. That's hard work, especially when liberalism is under assault as, as it is right now, right? Um, and instead, there's an easy and very toxic way out which is to blame innocence. Right. Um, let's see, in, in, um, in study three, that was an environment uh, one also. And in this case, the um, uh, dependent variable was moral character. So we, they were measuring guilt in the first two, in this one, uh, moral character. And they found a similar... Um, uh, pattern in that, um, uh, let me just, so the, um, in the in-group, um, people who were offered in the in-group conditions, so that's America contributes to climate change more than, uh, not, not that China, okay? So in the in-group is responsible for climate change. People who were offered uh, an ability to, or, you know, the third party directed uh, outrage um, rated themselves as having significantly higher moral character. 
So after having expressed outrage, they believed that they were of higher moral character. No other um, significant um, uh, differences other than that um, <clears throat> in the in-group condition, if they weren't offered um, the outrage, they were. Uh, there was a, a marginally significant difference between in-group and out-group. So um, the main, the main effect or the main uh, interaction was that getting that third-party outrage made people feel more that they had higher moral character. Okay, so let's 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 be nice to begin with. Okay. So let's say oh, that let's say that you feel guilty because you've bullied somebody in the past. You've now stopped that behavior. You feel a degree of shame for that behavior. And you see somebody else being bullied in the same way that you once bullied somebody. And you develop a sense of outrage because you recognize that what you previously did was wrong. And then because of that righteous indignation that you're feeling, um, you go after that bully you and intervene. You, That's right. You intervene. Fair enough. Yes. Well done. Good, 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 good. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And the reason why this works is because in all likelihood, more often than not, this kind of behavior is adaptive on the individual and social levels. However, what if your sense of guilt is something that has been manipulated? What if your sense of guilt is that, oh, I'm a white person, I am privileged in such a way, and maybe you are, and you feel guilty because of all of these advantages that you've been given that other people lack, and again, you know, fair enough. And there is this sense of guilt that's building up and up and up and up and up inside you. And somebody is accused of something very, very vague. Say somebody's accused of a microaggression. Now you have the opportunity to get outraged. Yay, yes. Yay, oh my God. I mean, you can see examples if you go on YouTube. Yes. <laughs> How dare you ask me where I'm from? Um, right. And then they have how dare you ask her where she's from? And then another person, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. And everybody just gets worked up into this frenzy of, instead of righteous indignation, you know, when you're fighting an actual bully, right. you're working yourself up into a sense of self-righteous indignation, where the wrongdoing or otherwise of your target is irrelevant. Right. Maybe they did do something wrong. Maybe they Maybe. didn't. Right. Doesn't really matter to you if you're honest. No, it does not. Because you're not you're not going through a process of investigation. And no, you might and it's not. It's not about to. them. It is all about you about feeling you. better about yourself. Yes. Yes. Now, if you've it's seen somebody punch, if you've seen somebody punch somebody, fair enough. You don't need to go through that kind of whole process. If there's an act of violence. Intervene. Stop it. You know. Great. Okay. But if it's just an accusation that has been fleshed out, you don't know whether that's right or wrong, but you've just jumped on it anyway. Yeah. You've gone through no process. You've gone through no process of, okay, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Let's sit down, have a cup of tea, think about this, gather evidence and make a, a, an informed judgment. You can do that. You're smart enough to do it. You know, if you're listening to a podcast or, or watching the YouTube of a podcast in which people are kind of going through concepts from philosophy and psychology, if you... If you understand this, you're smart enough to do that, right? But sometimes you don't. 
Sometimes you're going to jump on this kind of this self-righteous indignation. It's all about you trying to assuage your own guilt and project it onto somebody else who could very well be an innocent and often are And this idea that that after you've done this, you feel you're of higher moral character. This is, you know, also, you know, a symptom, right? Mm. That, um, you know, this, this mentality of, you know, having the, the moral high ground, you know, you know, uh, sort of feeds on itself. And if somebody has the audacity to push back against your, you know, your moral outrage, um, then, you know, having ha- having the high moral high ground essentially just, you know, gives you more, um, um, I don't know, you feel more empowered maybe to, to, um, justify your outrage and to justify the third party uh punishment right yeah i mean it's it's kind of like moral crack isn't it yes (laughs) yes you know it's easy to get hooked on this stuff yes you you get to have your cake and eat it you get to on the one hand enjoy being an appalling bully right you know irrespective of whether your target has done something wrong or not it doesn't really matter maybe they have maybe they haven't probably they haven't but maybe they have, but it doesn't matter to you because you're not going through the investigation to find out whether right. they have or have not. So their wrongdoing is completely irrespective. Correct. Right. So you can't claim to be moral right. about punishing. Even if you're punishing somebody who's done something bad, you can't claim to be moral because you don't have the basis to make the judgment of whether they've done something bad. You're just right. jumping on the bandwagon. Right. Right. So if they've done something wrong, what you're doing is bad. If they've done, not done anything wrong, what you're doing is still bad. It doesn't matter. You don't have the, the, the qualification to make the judgment. Um, and, and it's crack. You get to behave like an appalling bully and feel wonderful about it at the same yes. time. Yes. I mean, which is absolutely terrifying. <sighs> and, and this is what's happening. You know, when somebody jumps on a Twitter cancel mob. Right. Like, if you've done that, do you really think that you've spent time going through the evidence? Maybe you have, maybe you're one in one million who has, um, but the vast majority of people haven't. And how do I know this? Because once you do go through the evidence, you find that the vast majority of people who have been made victim of these things are innocent and people just jump on it and feel right. wonderful for doing it. And uh, yes. would, would that be dopamine? Yes. <laughs> yep. Well, that's why I'm using uh, crack cocaine, right? As, yes. as the metaphor. Oh, no. What does yes, crack so cocaine a, give you? That's a great example. That's a great <laughs> example. Yeah. This is literally the same um, chemical in the brain, isn't it? It's both. They're both. Yeah. When you do crack, you get dopamine. When you act like an appalling bully because of some kind of cooked up social justice excuse, you also get dopamine. So it's literally the same neurochemistry is going on there, I think. Um. Yeah, I'm not going to you know, serotonin, dopamine, I'm not going to, you know, I, I know just, I know just enough to be dangerous, uh, just enough to be dangerous, uh, with regard to that. So just, an, I can, I can say enough terms to sound like I know what I'm talking about and then get caught not knowing what I'm talking about. So, but, but, but actually we should put a caveat in there. If you know more about neurochemistry than the two of us do, which is highly likely, um, yes send us a correction yes um, yes even Say, better no, it's you... not dopamine it's serotonin or, or you know, more likely yeah. it is dopamine but is this and this and yeah. this, there are all kinds of other things involved if you do know about that um 
do send us an email because we'd love to have you on to discuss like the neurochemistry, what actual chemicals are happening here. We love corrections. Uh, And we'd love to explore this even even further because, I mean, that must be really fascinating to know. Yes, your brain on uh, on moral uh, self-righteousness, right? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Um, Okay, so in study four, it was labor again. And um, in this case, um, it was uh, personal moral character again, that uh, was the outcome variable. And um, so in, again, in the third party directed outrage condition, um, and this, oh, uh, uh, people... Uh, felt they were um, more, they had more personal moral character. And in this case, they actually measured people's um, attitudes, their their dispositions. um, uh, They controlled for, if you will, um, people's attitudes uh, within the study. So they actually um, used uh, people's, pre-existing attitudes um, about uh, the issue of uh, labor practices. So so among those who blamed international corporations for harmful sweatshop conditions, the opportunity to express moral outrage um, led to significantly higher self-personal moral character ratings. But people who didn't have that tendency, you know, who just simply, you know, don't tend to uh, perceive interna- uh, international corporations as more or less culpable, the outrage just essentially their their um, moral character ratings were un- unaffected. So it's only those people who were sort of already um, more, I don't know, more sociopolitically inclined to believe in um, uh, or be concerned about sweatshop kinds of, of activities. Um, study five also used the labor relations and um, uh, they uh, moral uh, and their, their people's moral outrage. So um, they had a control affirmation condition. And in this case, people, the, the um, control condition, people were asked to describe something in their life that they have complete control over. So they were, they actually had like this little affirmation exercise. So people got an opportunity to sort of feel better about themselves in that they could describe something they have control over. In the experimental condition, um, in a few sentences, briefly describe something about your, that makes you feel good, like you are a good and decent person. So in this case, uh, people, you know, sort of thought about themselves as, as good people. So in the moral affirmation um, condition, people um, felt less moral outrage. So simply going through that exercise of thinking of themselves as, um, you know, a good and decent person, uh, lowered the outrage. Um, Those who um, thought about something that they had control over felt more moral outrage. So perhaps actually feeling more in control, perhaps maybe 
uh, made people uh, increase self-efficacy maybe. And so it's hard to know, you know, you know, which was one increasing it or was one lowering it. You know, there's an interaction there, but um, could, could be both or it could be uh, just one or the other. You can't quite tell. But that, so that was five studies, mm-hmm. um, again, that supported this sort of guilt-driven account of or outrage. Um, so, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, self-focused guilt, um, either in um, personal uh, or in a um, sort of a collective uh, sense. Yeah. Um, uh, motivated people to express uh, moral uh, outrage. See, then now, like, usually when we go through these podcasts and we're looking at psychological phenomena, I usually see myself in it, right? So the dark triad, um, narcissism. There must be some narcissism in me because, like, you know, I, I think well, I feel everybody. confident enough. No, they, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, I feel confident yeah. enough in taking these people on, which must mean that I think I'm brighter than them. And I, I do think I'm brighter than them most of the time. Um, um, Machiavellianism, um, I, I can point to times when I've used slight, not kind of dishonesty, but, but, but I've known, no, actually not dishonesty, but I've known what buttons to press, let's put it that way, um, in order to get a rise out of people who I am going up against in order to expose them for what they are, you know, and, and that's not the same as just saying you are this, this, and this. I'm like, no, I'll prod you here, here, and here, and you'll react in a certain way. And that, you know, that's Machiavellian. So like the dark triad, I certainly see that in me. The, the, we, we also talked about um, the symbolic quest for, for immortality, the kind of the heroic narrative of going up and fighting people. I certainly see that in me as well, but this is what I don't see in me. This is the, like, I, I, I don't feel guilty for anything to start off with. Um, but even when I have felt guilty for something, I can understand on the one hand, like maybe as a kid, right? You feel guilty for stealing somebody's sweets. And then you try and pretend, oh, it wasn't me who stole the sweets. It was that kid over there. But that's not really what's going on here, right? Like, it, 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 it's it's darker than that. It's like, I stole swim some sweets and I feel guilty for that. And therefore I'm going to try and assuage my guilt by accusing somebody of doing something completely different, something wrong, right. and then being outraged by it. That's something I can't understand. Well, here's the thing though. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Tell me how I'm doing I, it because I no, just no, don't no, see no, it. No, no. I, I mean, um, I think the point here is that we don't see this in ourselves and that for the most part we aren't really capable of it i mean um you know we simply we're not good at uh thinking about our own thinking and metacognition um yeah we're um, well yeah and so um, I think that we're really, you know, what we're good at is post hoc explanations, right? And, um, you know, if people ask us, you know, questions, we'll give them an answer. There's simply no way, though, to know whether those answers are based in, you know, reality in terms of 
of our true uh, of what our motivations were in at, at any given moment. So so much of what we do is uh, is is driven by non conscious processing. Uh, again, you know, s- slow learning produces fast responding, right? And so um, I, I just don't, I don't want to say that you are, that, that you, that you do do this or that I, I do do this, but exactly, but we may be. And oftentimes, uh, more often than not, most of the time, all day long, we engage in things that it, behaviors, uh, think thoughts, um, you know, say things, do things that for which we are never held accountable because they're simply so unimportant to the other people we interact with, to the world. We're just not affecting change in any way. So we could be doing this um, and, uh, and actually, you know, gaining some, you know, person, uh, you know, psychological benefits from it that, that isn't in a way that isn't hurting other people mm. and therefore they're not, you know, we're not, uh, we're not being held account, held to account. We could also be doing it in ways that are potentially hurtful, but maybe in, we're doing it ineffectually. So we do such a bad job of it that it, that you know, doesn't it doesn't really matter. It doesn't yeah. really matter. Um, or maybe uh, we do it, uh, to people who love us, who don't hold us accountable for it, because they uh, they know, uh, especially if they if they love us and they're still in a relationship with us, um, research suggests that they're really good at explaining our behaviors in terms of situational, um, uh, you know, reasons, and so they allow us to get away with things. Um, that's how we stay in, in long-term relationships is that we, uh, we give people leeway and we explain, we explain behavior that's not explainable. Um, you know, we say like, oh, he forgot our, our anniversary because he's been working late a lot. So we could be doing, my point is we could be doing this a lot and getting the psychological benefits and really not being held to account. And, uh, you know, because these people didn't actually do anything either. They simply said, this pisses me off in a study mm-hmm. and that worked. So, uh, you know, anyway, there's a guy called, I think his name's Kevin similar. Have you heard of him? Um, Mm-mm. there's a book uh, he wrote with somebody else. I think it's called. I think it's him. Let me find out. It's a book called the elephant in the brain. Mm. That's a great People title. Enjoy this. Yeah. The elephant in the brain, um, hidden motives in everyday life. Um, Kevin Simler and Robin Hansen. Um, it's a really, really good book. And uh, yeah, it, it basically talks about this. It talks about how there is so much going on in our brains that predicts for certain behaviors that, that we are unaware of, but that we can kind of tease out by, by observation. Um, mm-hmm. And they do that in the book. It's a, it's a great book. Um, yeah, I, I, in, I think that they make the point that you know, we think of ourselves as the pilot in the plane, you know, right, the, and we are the plane and, and we're not, we're, we're more like the no. press secretary, yeah. <laughs> you know, like at, uh, best. at, best. at best yeah, and not a very good one. Um, although um, 
you know, and in turn, like, I mean, from my perspective, there are certain, I do things, I notice myself doing things that I'm not the author of. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I notice, yeah. so for me personally, one of them is stimming. Um, so I, like, I don't do it like, um, I don't rock backwards and forwards or anything like that, but I, I talk to myself. Um, when I get like a, a surge of emotions or things that I find difficult to process, often it's when I'm thinking back about something I did when I was a kid that I was embarrassed about, or I'm thinking about somebody who's really pissed me off and I get that kind of surge of emotion. I will talk to myself. I'll say something like, I need a drink. And I don't actually want to have a drink. I don't want to have a beer, but I'm using that because that's kind of like a nicely disguised kind of stim. Um, but I find myself doing that like all of the time. And I only catch it after I've said it, right? I only catch it after it's, it's already I have, come out. Um, uh, some songs uh, from my childhood that I, that, that I sing in my head when mm-hmm. I'm trying, when, when I, when there is a, uh, I'll find myself humming or something when I, when I recall something that I'm embarrassed about or, or mm-hmm. whatever, that's, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, I guess, I mean, I think that we should be charitable to ourselves and to others. Um, because so often we, you know, we are navigating, um, this complicated, you know, social space, um, as best as best we can, and um, I think if we were all more, this was sort of the the theme of our heterodox talk, right? That if we um, we simply viewed a lot of these um, foibles, these you know uh, missteps of people as simply that, that um, you know that frankly most of the time people are are almost sleepwalking through their world and a lot of things that are said or done that you might take offense at um you know were simply just they just didn't care that that's not that that's a i'm not saying that not caring is a is a good thing because no. you should but but if you walk around the world caring about everyone all the time you also aren't going to get anywhere there you have to have a, this balance and and so often i think that um you know that uh, what people are interpreting us, what we all inter- all of us interpret um, sometimes as an affront um, is, you know, it's actually their shit going on in their heads. It's, it's, you know, we're just, we just happen to be, you know, there to either get blamed or whatever. I, I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with all of that. I'm fine with being blamed some of the time for stuff that I'm completely innocent of. Um, but something's changed, hasn't it? Like, like yeah. these, so, so these kinds of psychological processes have been there for time immemorial. Right. Um, they're, a, they're hardwired. Um, if they weren't for the most part, well, at least for the most part, beneficial. History, beneficial, they wouldn't be here. Exactly. Or if they are, you'd be a, like a really dysfunctional human being who'd end up getting murdered or drop out of the gene pool. Right. Um, but the fact that they're, that they're so ubiquitous means that, you know, it, it is for, or at least it has been for most of human history, a, a decent thing that we have these, these things that you, you are prepared to, 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 to get outraged at injustice and stand up to the bully. What's changed, I think, and, and, and here's where we kind of go into new territory because there, there's no evidence for what I'm about to say. It's, I'm just, you know, this is conjecture. Um, well, this is where it's getting, this is where it gets interesting, right? 
what has changed, I would advance, is that social media has evolved to hijack these um, these natural tendencies that are more often than not good. And so we are presented um, with a, a bewildering array of lies um, about a whole host of different people. And we are given the opportunity to become outraged, to become part of a mob. And... Super quick. Within right. mill you know, yeah. Yeah, like like within a millisecond. Yeah. You know, so so okay, so for example, you imagine that you went into a new job and there were different cliques in your new job, right? So there were different cliques and they didn't get on with each other all of the time. Maybe this clique got on with this clique and but not with that clique, whatever. There's kind of like a, a politics system that's going on in your office, which is normal, right? That's If you start a new job, that's what you have to encounter. I just started a new job and I completely avoid everybody like the plague <laughs> because I know better. Um, but um, apart from the students, of course. Um, so, you know, you've gone into that environment. Um, which clique do you side with? That's a complex decision. Yeah. You're probably not going to side with the first one, or you might do, but you're going to have to expose yourself to different arguments of why this is good or why this person is bad. Maybe there is an office bully that should be avoided because they've behaved in horrible ways. But when somebody says that this person is awful, do you believe it immediately? If so, you're pretty naive. Um, and that isn't to say that you're wrong, but you're pretty naive because you shouldn't go along with what people say because they will be trying to manipulate you some of the time. Um, you know, if you're halfway smart, you're going to try and find things out for yourself and you're going to try and find out who are the real good actors and bad actors. And that way you're going to protect yourself from, 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 from things. Um, so you know that you have to take time about these decisions. Yet on social media, there's no cost. Right. right. So, so if I if I decide that um, in an office setting before the days of social media, that I think Elizabeth Spivak is a complete waste of space because I believe the one person that didn't like her because she's she's the actual waste of space. Let's say that's the one person that didn't like you, which I would believe to be true, actually. Um, and, and I've gone along with that person. I've acted in a terrible way towards you as a consequence of believing that person's lies. There is going to be a cost that I will have to pay for that. Right. Um, and maybe you'll forgive me when I say, I'm sorry, you probably might. would be, you might, mm, I'm, I would be slightly terrified. Anyway, <laughs> but, but the point is, is that, that you would have to make those judgments and you would have to, if you want to be successful in the judgments that you would making, you would have to put a significant amount of effort into thinking about that problem. Who am I going to so associate with and who am I not going to associate with? On social media, you can just jump on somebody. Right. And there is no cost. And you can extricate yourself from one group and, and, you know, move and you can block somebody and, and that kind of stuff. Right. So if, you know, it, which is a lot easier than having to see somebody in the hallways that you maybe, um, didn't, don't want to align yourself with anymore. Yeah. It's, isn't it pretty easy to. It's completely, get rid of, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, you just, you just get rid of I, Twitter, the way that Twitter at least used to work is it was even worse. Right. So let's say that, um, you have a, a, a blue check mark. So now you have to pay to become a blue check. I think. I Do know. you, 
because I'm hearing that they they're, they're just appearing on certain people's webs, uh, certain people's sites that haven't even asked for it. So I don't know. Look, I'm Accounts, not sure. I mean, yeah. I'm yeah. not sure. But the way the system used to work um, before Elon Musk take, took over was that um, you could get a blue check mark if you were a celebrity. But if you were a celebrity, you had to be a celebrity of a certain. You either had to be absolutely massive, like a Jordan Peterson, who they would hate, but they couldn't deny it to because he's so massive. Or if you were a minor celebrity, you could get one if you kind of bribed somebody, or which actually happened. Or um, if you were of an ideological bent that the people at Twitter were in favor so of. So the blue you were check of mark justice. has been around all along. It's just, yeah. they okay, okay. So like 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 of, of my friends that that had it, for example, um a Colin Wright, who you know was quite famous, would never get one because he wasn't as big as somebody like Jordan Peterson, right? Um so he wouldn't get one. Like, you know, now he can get one because he can pay for it. Um whereas my friend a, a, my journalist friends would automatically get them if they were mm-hmm. reporting for somebody like Bloomberg or someone like that, um, or the Financial Times. Um but a minor woke celebrity would automatically get one or a minor, somebody really minor. Helen Pluckrose, for example, who is, you know, best-selling author, she couldn't get one. Wow. But somebody with a tenth of her following who did a minor podcast and was, you know, woke to the nines, Mm -hmm. they'd get one really, really easily. So that's the way that it used to be. Um, Now you're supposed to pay a fee. Now you're supposed to pay a fee, which I kind of prefer that, you know, if it's more egalitarian, but, but, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't want to kind of commit myself to anything here because it's still not not precisely how it's working. Yeah. No, no. It's totally not. Well, I can say it's better than just getting one because you're woke that, you know, yes. Yes. So so anyway, um, the, the point, the point I was kind of trying to get to in a roundabout way was that, that, you know, the algorithms of social media have been engineered in, in such a way that if somebody like me, was to go up against one of these minor um, people who had been given one of these aristocratic badges. Um, and I was to make quick work of them in a debate, which wasn't easy because their arguments were generally awful, you know, because they were getting angry about things, not because somebody had done something wrong, but because there was social status to be gained in getting angry. Right. You know, I think, which I think is dopamine, but again, you know, correct us on your account. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd get angry, they'd encourage their followers to get angry, they'd, they'd single somebody out and bully them relentlessly, um, then other people would jump on and then I'd come in and I'd say, yeah, hold on a second, what are you saying? They'd try and push back. I would win, not because I'm particularly bright, but simply because their arguments were that bad and obviously that bad. Then the next thing that would happen would be that they would block me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they just blocked me. And in a sense, you'd say, well, fair enough, they've blocked you. You know, maybe they were right or wrong in their moral judgment to block you. You know, you can argue that, but that's separate. You know, they've not infringed on your freedom of speech by blocking you. You know, they, they can choose not to speak to you if they want. But it's not real life. It's not. But no, but it's right. Sort of. Yes, it, it's it's not real life, but, you know, they have the, the right to ignore me if they want to. Right. Okay. But it isn't real life. I mean, it's not the kind of office situation where you have to. Right negotiate and deal with people who are challenging and, and that's a good thing by the way because those are the people who'll upgrade you you know if you if you've been made a tit out of by somebody who's having like a bit of a debate with you you're going to learn from that experience even if you 
hate that person and the process of learning is just so that you can get back at them, you're still going to level yourself up. You know, so, so these kinds of experiences can be adaptive. But what was happening with Twitter was that when somebody blocked me, and I was always really polite about these debates, you know, that I was having with these people. I wasn't like, you're an arsehole. It was all logical. Uh, and, and it, you know, I was polite to a flaw because I was doing this very English thing of being so polite and being rude and kind of being polite in a very condescending way, um, which is a very yes, English I, I've tactic. I've witnessed that, yes. I know you've witnessed Not from me, but you've witnessed it. It's a very English thing to do. And we like to do it to Americans, actually, which is... Um, <laughs> um, anyway, um, but once those people blocked me, they didn't simply block me from their timeline. Like by blocking me, if you had a blue check mark, that then pushed down oh. my score in the algorithm. Okay, okay. And so it meant that fewer people who didn't block me could see what I was writing. And that then completely screwed over my Twitter profile. Right. So that basically okay. nobody, I, and I don't know if it's changed because I haven't gone back on that, but it basically right. meant that hardly anybody was seeing anything that I wrote. Even right. people who followed me, who wanted to see what I wrote, very few of them were seeing anything I wrote at all. And you could see that because you can see how many people have viewed right. your tweet and how many people are liked you. So there's this so, kind of ideological tyranny yeah. that had been engineered to take advantage of these kinds of psychological effects. Right, um, right. Yeah, which was quite terrifying. Poor Mike. Oh, it was all right. It was just annoying more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just meant that I didn't use Twitter. Um, and, and, and I'm not sure, I mean, whether these algorithms have been fully corrected for, I know that like Musk said that he intends to correct for them. Yeah. I, I, I don't know whether he's going to. I don't gonna... think that's an overnight thing or even a no. one year thing probably. No. So, yeah. No, he just um, said that he notices the problem. So. so one of the things that these authors ask is, you know, they say, uh, this raises the possibility that the mere anticipation of guilt over one's future harm doing may be sufficient to elicit third party directed outrage as a preemptive guilt evasion. So they get their, you know, this is in their, um, in their discussion. So they're, you know, they're sort of uh, uh, proposing this um, possibility that. So you're worried anticipatory. about being cancelled. <laughs> What? Yeah, so you're worried about being cancelled. You know that it's so easy to be cancelled because you're walking around on eggshells and you see other people being cancelled all of the time and you know that it could happen to you at the drop of the hat. And so in order to kind of offset that, let me get in as many kind of online mobbings as I can so that I can demonstrate that I'm, you know, I'm a good person. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so could we be doing this not only as a defence right? But as an offensive mechanism, almost like, um, a preemptive you know, strike. Yeah, exactly. Sort of building up a bank account yeah. of, uh, you know, so that, you know, oh, in case I feel guilty later on, I've got, you know, I've got some morality credits in my backpack or whatever, you know, well, that I can spend. Well, how is this? It's kind of like a, a, a bottom up version, although to the extent this bottom up can be questioned, but it's like a bottom up version of, um, the Chinese social credit thing yes right yes. so you know you're being watched by these cameras that have this facial recognition system although not for long because we're not selling them chips anymore and oh, we're not even okay. letting them make them and so these systems will continue to work and then they'll break down yeah and then they won't be able to repair them because they can't get the parts um so don't worry about that it's gonna go but 
as it is right now, there is a system which has facial recognition, which you're constantly being observed all of the time, apart from within your own home, although who knows, frankly. Who knows, yeah. Uh, who knows? Um, you know, if you're somebody like me who likes to drink a bit too much and you go to the um, liquor shop, isn't that an Americanism? In England, we call it an off-license. Um, a what bottle license? shop, an off-license. Off license, okay. and I'm not entirely sure why. I think it's something historic. Okay. You needed to have a specific license to sell alcohol, and you know, if you were a standard shop, you didn't have that. But anyway, right. we call it an off license, a shop that sells booze. Um, so you go there, or you go to a liquor shop in America, or a bottle shop in Australia, as they call it, uh, and you can go to these places in China, and you're being watched. And right. if you buy over a little certain, too much, a little too much, that then docks your your social credit wow but not to worry you can go online and make loads of patriotic posts and kind of restore it right yeah um so you know you have to think about these things but 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 in a way you know when you have um because not just twitter but twitter facebook and these social instagram um these social media kind of platforms have become the town square right youtube as well um and they are being controlled by people who adhere to a certain ideology um, who are docking your social presence, your, your, your visibility, um, if you contradict their worldview, well, that is a kind of totalitarian social credit system. Yeah. It's very dystopian. Uh, and the fact that it, and, and it's no less dystopian, well, okay, maybe it's a little less dystopian um, than if it's being brought about by a centralized government, but this is being brought about by private corporate interests, which, is it as bad? I don't know. It's still pretty awful, whichever way you look at it. Um, and this is how, you know, ideological coercion is working and it's, it's making, making use of these things. So people get out ahead right. of the, the social credit and they make themselves visible. And by being visible, they gain fame and status um, by well, being adherent how, to the this ideology. This is how we, we diet right? Like, oh, I'm mm -hmm. going to exercise extra hard today because I know I'm going out to dinner or, or I'm going to skip, you know, I'm going to skip dessert because I know I'm going to have this other thing, you know, this is, it's the same thing where it's, you know, we're just robbing from Peter to pay Paul all the time, you know, right. I, I just never really thought of it in, in terms of this, you know, but, but it so, is that sort of anticipatory guilt over that dessert or whatever. And so what am I doing? I'm going to build up my, you know, so, you know, the, All the, worst, long. the worst, the worst of these people that play this game, um, like there's one of them who I, I really despise because he's a really gifted intellect, but he's, he's an absolute, his name's Chris Kavanaugh. He's an absolute scumbag, um, a real, real bad faith actor and, and, you know, intellectually gifted. And of course he blocked me. Of course, of course, of course, of course. But he says nasty things about me behind my back, even though he's behind a wall, he knows I can't speak back because that's the kind of bloke he is. <laughs> Um, but you know, you know, a gifted intellect and what somebody like him will do is he, he knows him and people like him. He, he knows full well that, that wokeism, um, is a serious problem and they become the kind of the useful idiot class. So what they'll do is they'll say, okay, yeah, critical social justice. It can be bad. It's certainly been used to do bad things. Here's an example. And they'll point to an example of something nasty happening. And then they'll say, but let's get it in perspective, you know, compared to January the 6th or something like that, it's really nothing at all, isn't it? And, and why would you have to compare it to January the 6th? But, but anyway, I'm right. not sure that he's made that direct comparison. I'm just, you know, I'm not, not going to put words into his mouth, but, but that's the kind of thing that they do. People like him do. 
and then and here is something that he has done and then they'll go on and they'll look at a you know an abysmal thinker like i think probably the worst thinker out there um in terms of critical social justice which is ibram x kendi and they'll go through ibram x kendi's absolute awful diatribe and um just try and steal manic to a point of absurdity um and then at the same time they'll go they'll find something stupid that brett weinstein has said and he said some stupid things to be fair uh, but, but but haven't we all right my goodness sake perhaps and then right say, in this podcast right and, and shouldn't we be charitable enough to say look we've all said stupid things haven't we all because we can't be experts in anything and what he'll do is they'll find something stupid that brett weinstein said and, and then say look here's something stupid brett weinstein said or jordan peterson or somebody like that and they've all said stupid things i agree and then they'll say they'll use that to poison the well right and then they'll say therefore we should not listen to brett weinstein or jordan peterson on absolutely anything because they said something stupid once right well if you're going to go by that line of argument then that's true for everybody Everything, including yeah. you including you you know, yeah. that's your standard of reasoning. But that's what they do. That's what these useful idiot classes do. And that's how they gain their social status. That's how they gain their kind of by, you know, interceding, even though they know what the problem is. He's not stupid enough not to know what the real problem is. They, they, they gain popularity and clicks and support um, by interceding and putting up this kind of skilled defense of some of the most the worst thinkers out there. Um, uh, and yeah, it's very effective. They, they they get a lot of followers on Twitter. They, they people like that continually pop up in my feed, even though I don't follow them. Right? No, like I wouldn't. You know, I, I'm to the point where I have to mute some of them. I don't want to block them, but but I want to mute them because I just don't want to see these bad arguments coming up all over the time. Because I know them. I've just articulated exactly what they are. Embrace right. the void is another. He's like uh, Aaron something or other. He, he he calls himself a philosopher, but for the life of me, I can't work out. He has a philosophy PhD, but you know, what does a PhD mean these days? Um, I, I, I can't, I just can't see how he could call himself a philosopher. But, but these useful idiots who, again, they're smart enough to see the problem, but they just want to explain it away um, in order to kind of climb up the Twitter rankings. And, and this is one of the, the, the reasons, and it's not just Twitter, of course, but this is one of the reasons why things are just so out of control at the moment. Because there is this kind of like this, 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 this hidden social credit system that's going on. Right. Right. Um, so once again, this article is mm. not about cancel culture and yet, and yet, and yet. So, um, you know, I mean, again, you know, this raises, I mean, they're saying in the article, this raises the possibility that people may be able to find or create outrage worthy targets when motivated to defend their moral status. So there you go. That's, uh, one sentence you know well there was also isn't it interesting like where you can gain and here's another here's here's where i'm going to take a pop at elon musk i don't know if this is true or not but where does elon musk um manufacture a lot of his teslas you know? uh, yeah i honestly i mean china oh of course i guess i did know that actually and so yeah. how you know criticizing the ccp yeah. on right. twitter that doesn't gain you much traction, funnily right. enough. Um, you know, so you know, when I say about Elon Musk, you know, on the one hand, combating kind of woke people or, or, on, on the other, um, you know, there's a possibility. I don't know for certain because I can't get back there in front of the algorithm. So maybe he's not. But but it, it certainly appears to me that there's a possibility that he might be um, 
protecting or standing up against criticism from the CCP, because if he does that, then, you know, again, I'm, I'm not making an accusation. I'm just raising that as a, as, well, as a possibility. Well, I think that, um, you know, what we know, again, about, um, you know, people's uh, unawareness of their motivations and, you know, the reasoning behind their behaviors and stuff, I think it would be impossible for him to uh, tease apart, you know, the different motivations. And they do try to create firewalls. It's a very complicated process and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, it, it comes out all the time, you know, that, you know, legislators, you know, purchase, just happen to purchase a bunch of stock or sell a bunch of stock the day before, you know, some bill, come, you know, gets voted on or whatever. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe they can't prove that it was directly related, but you know, well, I just, I think that, that, um, you know, you know, who's going to cast the first stone, I guess, but yes, it, it, it's mighty suspicious. And, and basically that's what this, you know, this article is suggesting that we should be mighty suspicious, right? Well, we, we should yeah, be we, mighty we have suspicious. To be. Yeah. We have yeah. to be, but, but, but this yeah. is, this is that, the, this is the whole point of freedom of speech, right? This is the reason why no authority, um, be it government or private, can ever be allowed to be in charge of freedom of speech. This is the whole, the whole point of it. And it's not because it's not because people don't say hateful things and it's not because they don't deserve to be banned because of the hateful things that they've said, right? I, I can point to, to lots of examples of people saying absolutely disgusting things that they fully well deserve to be banned for, um, from any social media platform. The problem is, is that who can you trust to wield that power? Yeah. And as soon as you do, you know, it becomes manipulated by people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that person also has motives that they yeah. can, or, that they may or may not always be aware of and understand. And, and, and that's actually been demonstrated with Elon Musk, right? Where he, he said he was going to do one thing. And then um, I can't remember what happened, but a few people, five people or something ganged up on him in some way. And he's like promptly banned them. And then he was like, right. oops, I guess I shouldn't have done that. But you, you, you know, it's like, wow, you hurt my feelings. It's just natural human, you know, tendency, yeah, and, and, you know, and, 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 look, let's, let's do the, give the devil it's due here. You know, would Elon Musk be better or worse than most people? You know, I don't know. Maybe he'd be better. Maybe he's doing a better. I think he's probably doing a better job than a lot that came before. At least he's to a degree accountable. At least you can say something to him. Um, the lot before was kind of like it was completely clandestine so you know I'm, he's not perfect but, but let me put it in even better terms who can you trust to police speech on social media not me no i don't want not it. me no if you gave you know like um uh lord of the rings you know yeah. either you're thinking about the book or the movie um and um i think there's a point where frodo says i would give the ring to you gandalf yeah and Gandalf's like, Whoa. no, and he's the wisest and most powerful and benevolent of all of the wizards. And he said, if you gave me the ring of power, I would try to turn it to do good. And in trying to do good, become the most awful and terrible thing ever, you know, maybe even worse than Sauron himself. Um, and that's the point. I, I, I don't want that power, not, not because it's not tempting to take hold of it, but because because I would abuse it. Well, and that's I, I, what this article is suggesting, right? That 
people who are trying to do good, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, oh, I, I have this, you know, I'm outraged. I, I want to do good. You yes. know, are actually doing bad, you know, yes. um, sometimes, sometimes in, in pursuit of good, we, we do bad. And um, as you say, you know, uh, unfortunately, I think that this is a sort of a unique time. Um, I shouldn't say unique. It. I think that this is a pattern that, you know, repeats itself. Um, but you and I are living in it, it for the first time, right? right. Um, where, you know, there's, there's uh, a multitude of, of, there's an ease of opportunity as well as a uh, a, a narrative that's easy, uh, that's pre, uh, you know, a, a set narrative that's ready for people to use, um, you know, they, that in, in pursuit of this moral outrage remedy for guilt. And look, I, and I went on and criticized two people in this podcast by name and told, said what they've done. I mean, I've had these discussions with them directly. Can I say that if I was in their position, you know, like that I'd been grown up in their social environment and, and gone through all of the envir environmental forces, even being genetically and psychologically distinct from them as I am as an individual human being. But if I'd been subject to all of the, the same environmental pressures, would I be any different to them? Don't know. I don't know. And, and, and this is the point, I think. And this is the point that we continuously labor as we go through each and each one of these psychological processes is that we don't know whether we would be any different. Right. We, well, we don't know if we're doing this. Yeah, we don't know. No, no, like a lot of the time, I mean, not so much with this one. I mean, I, largely because I don't feel guilty about anything, but, and much less ashamed. Um, although I do feel ashamed sometimes, but it's kind of different. I feel ashamed that I don't think like other people. But it's, you know, I feel like there's something dirty about me because of the way in which I reason is obviously so much, so far removed from other people. So there's that kind of shame, but it's not a kind of a moral shame. It's kind of a, just the shame of being the yeah. outsider, different. Yeah. Um, but these psychological processes that, that we see, the, the dark triad, the, 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 the quest for symbolic immortality to be seen as this 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 hero these 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 things that motivate us to do good and bad in you know that that are based in this this desire to do good but steer us into to, in, into evil like we see them in us we see them in 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 critical social justice but we also see it in the resistance to critical social justice mm -hmm. um it's there if you want to try and be a force for good in the world you know it's not enough that you're brave it's not enough that, that, that you're even brave and smart there are plenty of um woke people who are doing a lot of damage who are both brave and smart um you know in some of the world's most prestigious institutions there are also a lot of people who are pushing back against wokeism who are doing the same sort of damage because they're becoming exactly the thing that mm -hmm. they hate who are also brave and smart the thing that we're trying to labor by by really going into the philosophy and, and, and psychology of, of cancel culture and not just of critical social justice advocates either, but, but on the people who are ostensibly on our side as well, is that all of these psycho psychological processes that are pushing them to do harm because they think that they're doing good, they're in us as well. Right. 
Um, and if you really want to try and be a force for good, I think you have to work hard at trying to understand these processes. Otherwise, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Good intentions, not? yes, yes. Um, or as um, as 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 what's his name, um, Carl Jung, famously said. You know, we were talking about this line: um, the shadow always finds a way, and it is yes. blackest and most dense in those people who are kind of unaware that they have a shadow. We all have a shadow. Um, but I think also with like, with, 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 with evil more, more generally, um, the worst kind of evil is not the evil of a, of a, a mass murderer, right? Cause how many, how many people does a mass murderer kill? You know, like a guy who picks up a knife or a gun and goes yeah. on a school shooting or something like that. Well, yeah, we really don't know, of course, but yeah. Well, no, we, we, we don't, but we can look at each. Yeah. But I think we could look at each individual isolated case, right? Um, well, the ones that we caught. The ones that we caught. Yeah. But even the, the number Those of people. Those are the bad ones. The right. ones that get caught are the bad ones. But we got, this is a whole different. No, 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 but, no, but we, <laughs> no, we can deal with this because, because, because we could just say the number of people who go missing every year, right? How many is that? Um, how many of them are murdered? Well, we don't know, but let's say it's all right. of them. That still doesn't, so let's say all of the people who go missing every year have been murdered by some mass murderer and that mass murderer is evil. Let's just accept that. Let's say that that's true. The number of people who would still be killed in that, by that means is still less than the number right. of people who have been killed by ideology. Right. Who right. have been killed by the likes of Mao or, or right. Stalin right. or, or Pol Pot yes. or Hitler, massively less, right? Yes. And yes. yet, minuscule. And yet, the, the, the evil of the people like Mao, Pol Pot, Hitler is characterized by the fact that they were so sure that they were on the side of the angels. Right. And, and none of these outraged, men were idiots. And, and yeah. they had, their outrage was reserved for third parties for the outgrip and they were absolutely motivated by moral outrage i mean just mm -hmm. look at the outrage that drips off hitler and it's quite mm -hmm. persuasive when you see him talking or, or any of these people they're absolutely animated by moral outrage and a desire to punish those who are they they are convinced are, are are on the side of the devils and so this is the thing it's this again this this absolute self-righteousness that that is the greatest evil that's really out there. I mean, certainly the greatest human driven evil, you could say that earthquakes and stuff are evil because of the consequences, but I mean, the greatest intent to do harm on behalf of a human being is in ideology and is perpetrated yes. by people who are absolutely convinced that they're doing the right thing. And they're generally very bright as well. They're generally, you know, Hitler was no idiot. No. Um, you know, so you've got a bright person, a brave person, You'd have to be to kind of go into that kind of world, right? You couldn't, he certainly wasn't a coward. And they're doing all of this massive evil out there. And because the thing that they're missing is this, 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 this capacity to, to look themselves in the mirror and reflect upon themselves. And so if you want to be a force for good, it's not just enough that you're, you're brave or, or that you're intelligent. You have to realize, you know, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn put it, that the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man. And every woman too, yes. <laughs> and that you have these demons inside you as well. And uh, this moral outrage is another one. Good. I, on that note, I think, I think we've done it. 
Excellent. Well, we hope you enjoyed that terrifying <laughs> journey um, into the heart of darkness. But remember that moral <laughs> outrage can also be a good thing. Yes. Uh, more often than not, it motivates positive behavior. Um, but as we can see from history and as we can see right now, that, that you have to be aware that these things can be subverted um, to do great harm in society. Uh, and we're, we're trying to be aware of that ourselves, too. Um, thank you very much. Thank you.